This morning we'll be reading from 2 Chronicles chapter 24. If you didn't bring your Bible with you, then you can grab the one in the pew and you can turn to about page 332 and you can follow along in 2 Chronicles chapter 24. It's important to me that you read along with me. I'd really love for you to be reading God's Word along with me as I read 2 Chronicles 24 and give comment about that story. As you get to 2 Chronicles 24, I want you just to listen to this little proverb that comes at the end of Proverbs 24. And so just listen to this proverb and how it encourages you. I passed by the field of the sluggard, by the vineyard of the man lacking sense, and behold, it was completely overgrown with thistles. Its surface was covered with nettles, and its stone wall was broken down. When I saw it, I reflected upon it. I looked and received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Then your poverty will come on you as a robber, and your want like an armed man. It's just a little story of a guy walking by a field of someone who didn't take care of their field and saying, I looked at that and I learned from that person's mistake. Something to be said of learning from other people's mistakes, wouldn't you say? It's a whole lot better to learn from somebody else's mistake than to learn from your own, right? Well, today we get to walk by the life of an individual who makes grave mistakes. And it is my prayer that as we walk by his life, we observe, we look, and we receive instruction. All right, let's walk by his life. Second Chronicles chapter 24. Joash was seven years old when he became king. He reigned 40 years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Zibiah from Beersheba. Joash did what was right in the sight of the Lord, all the days of Jehoiada the priest. Jehoiada took two wives for him, and he became the father of sons and daughters. There's our introduction into Joash's life. As we walk by his life, the first thing that we are reminded of is that Joash is just a seven-year-old boy who is now king over all of Judah. And we need to know what happened. Jehoiada, the priest was actually a surrogate father to Joash. See, Joash was just a little baby whenever his entire family was murdered. But he was rescued by Jehoiada and Jehoiada's wife. He was brought into the temple as just an infant, about one years old. And he is raised there until he's seven by Jehoiada and his wife. And then when he's seven years old, Joash is placed on the throne over Judah. And Jehoiada is there to help him. And the text tells us that Joash was right in the sight of God. That God looked at Joash and said, man, your heart is really right. All the days of Jehoiada, this man that was like his father. He was encouraging Joash to remember who God is and what God has promised and to follow him. And Joash did that in the days of Jehoiada. 
Let's continue to read and see exactly how he did that. The chronicler gives us an example specifically of what was happening in Joash's life so that we might see into his heart and know what God saw. Verse 4. Now it came about after this that Joash had it in his heart. He decided to restore the house of the Lord. He gathered the priests and the Levites and said to them, Go out to the cities of Judah and collect money from all Israel to repair the house of your God annually, and you shall do the matter quickly. But the Levites did not act quickly. So the king summoned Jehoiada, the chief priest, and said to him, Why have you not required the Levites to bring in from Judah and from Jerusalem the levy fixed by Moses, the servant of the Lord, on the congregation of Israel for the, for the tent of the testimony? For the sons of the wicked Athaliah had broken into the house of God and even used the holy things of the house of the Lord for the Baals. So they'd been using things in the house for idolatry under the direction of this former queen. Now Joash is king, and he's the one that's calling the priest to bring about this reform based upon the people giving of their funds according to the law of Moses. Now, where did Joash get that? Joash read the Bible. And he read and saw that Moses said the people should be bringing gifts in order to keep the temple up. And he looked around the temple and said, this place is in disarray. It's been used for idolatry. Things have been stolen. We need to fix this so that we are as a nation worshiping God rightly. And he calls for this. His heart is literally stirred inside of him because he hears God speak to him through the word of God, and he calls the people to reform. And he actually says, Jehoiada, get on this. Let's get it done. And it's not happening like Joash wants it to. And so he even comes up with another plan to get this thing rolling. Look at verse 8. So the king commanded, and they made a chest, and they set it outside by the gate of the house of the Lord. They made a proclamation in Judah and Jerusalem to bring to the Lord the levy fixed by Moses, the servant of God, on Israel in the wilderness. All the officers and all the people rejoiced and brought in their levies and dropped them into the chest until they had finished. So Joash cast this vision. He said, we got to fix the temple. And here's what Moses says. We're going to put this out here. And you just come and, and voluntarily give of what God has given to you so we can fix this and worship him rightly. And what did the people do? They responded to that opportunity. They gave enough to get the job finished. And when they gave, they rejoiced in their giving. It's pretty cool. It'd be like you coming here today and me preaching for an hour and a half on how to give your money uh, to the Lord because of all the things we're doing around here. And at the end of that service, for me to say, okay, how are you going to respond? And all of you just get up from your seats and you run to the offering boxes and you start dropping money in there and you're shouting with joy, I'm giving to the Lord and I'm happy. Now, have you ever been to a church service like that? It'd be pretty remarkable, wouldn't it? Well, that's what's happening. Joash said, look, we, we've been commanded to do this. And if we do this, we get to fix the Lord's house. And the people were like, yeah, that's great. And they were excited about giving up what God had given them for the house of God. What they wanted their own money for became secondary to what God wanted what he had given them for. And they were happy about it. It's amazing how the people are responding to the Lord here. Verse 10, it came about whenever the chest was brought in to the king's officer by the Levites, 
And when they saw that there was much money, then the king's scribe and the chief priest's officer would come, empty the chest, take it, return it to its place. Thus they did daily, collected much money. The king and Jehoiada gave it to those who did the work of the house of the Lord, and they hired masons and carpenters to restore the house of the Lord, also workers in iron and bronze to repair the house of the Lord. So the workmen labored, and the repair work progressed in their hands, and they restored the house of God according to its specifications and strengthened it. When they had finished, they brought the rest of the money before the king and Jehoiada, and it was made into utensils for the house of the Lord, utensils for the service, and the burnt offerings, and pans and utensils of gold and silver, and they offered burnt offerings in the house of the Lord continually all the days of Jehoiada. These were the good days of Joash. And they are worshiping the Lord every day in the house of the Lord. Incredible. Now I want to take a quick aside. This has very little to do with the text. But I want to tell you about something. Just so you'll be aware. We've been able to do some really cool stuff with our facilities here at Southside because of your giving. And a lot of those changes have really helped us do what we do better since this is the place where we have our primary gathering. And we go out from here into the world. So it's really fun to make sure that we're taking care of this place so that we can do better at what we do as the people of God gathering here. And I want you to know that this year we're going to make a pretty dramatic change with the area behind me. We need to double our nursery space. We're just growing, and something's in the water, and we need to double that area back there and make room for more growth. We have a lot of young couples who are coming, connecting, and we just need to do a better job facilitating the opportunity for people to be a part of what's happening here. So we're going to take all the current office space, we're going to renovate that to be a nursery space. We're hoping that that will happen by this fall, and your generosity and faithfulness to the Lord is enabling us to do those things. And and, and I love that, that every time we say something about what God's doing, what we feel like we need to do, that you as a church don't grumble. That you really do rejoice and you give and you're faithful, and I just appreciate that. And I want you to share in that rejoicing, to know what's happening, be praying about that and looking for that, and uh, just appreciate your faithfulness in, uh, in, in the Lord here that enables us to do some things like that here. So it's pretty cool to be a part of. I just want you to know about that. All right, back to the text. You notice... That this last phrase in the text, in this particular section, is that they give offerings in the house of the Lord continually all the days of Jehoiada. There it is. That, that phrase forms bookends to the first section of the story. You notice we are told that Joash did what was right in God's sight all the days of Jehoiada. Then here we hear all the days of Jehoiada again. It's this omen. This is, it's this foreshadowing. You've heard about the good days. Now I'm going to tell you about the not so good days. Look at verse 15. Now when Jehoiada reached a ripe old age, he died. He was 130 years old at his death, and they buried him in the city of David among the kings because he had done well in Israel and to God in his house. See, Jehoiada received great honor because he honored the Lord. And he was buried in the place where only the kings were buried. It's pretty incredible. But now Jehoiada is gone. He's dead. Let's hear about what happens in Joash's life after Jehoiada is gone. Verse 17, But after the death of Jehoiada, the officials of Judah came. They bowed down to the king, and the king listened to them. They abandoned the house of the Lord, the God of their fathers. And they served the ashram and the idols. So wrath came upon Judah and Jerusalem 
for this their guilt. Yet he sent prophets to them to bring them back to the Lord. Though they testified against them, they would not listen. Joash had an opportunity to invite another Jehoiada in his life. But when Jehoiada died, Joash listened to these officials that said, you shouldn't follow the Lord. And Joash began to worship idols. And he got to the place that no matter what God said to him, he would not listen. That should be no surprise to us because the Bible tells us in Psalm 115 that those who make idols, idols that have eyes but cannot see, ears but cannot hear, mouths but cannot speak, those who make idols and trust in them become like them. And here Joash has taken up idolatry And because he is worshiping something other than God, he becomes so spiritually deaf that he will not hear what God has to say. And he is going to do something so irrational and terrible that it doesn't make sense at all except that he has become spiritually blind and deaf because of his idolatry. Look at what he does. Verse 20. The Spirit of God came on Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada, the priest. Now, now notice who this is. The chronicler wants us to see Zechariah, this one who, upon whom God's Spirit rested, is the son of Jehoiada. So what relationship does this man, Zechariah, have with Joash? Remember who Jehoiada is? Jehoiada is like Joash's father, his surrogate father. In fact, the text is going to tell us just in a second that he is the father of Joash, which means that Zechariah is his brother. So a man that is like his brother, they share the same father. God's spirit rests upon him and he comes to speak to Joash. One last effort God is making to graciously call Joash into repentance. Look what Zechariah has to say. He stood above the people and he said to them, Thus God has said, Why do you transgress the commandments of the Lord and do not prosper? Because you have forsaken the Lord. He has also forsaken you. So they conspired against him. And at the command of the king, they stoned him to death in the court of the house of the Lord. Thus Joash, the king, did not remember the kindness which his father, Jehoiada, had shown him. But he murdered his son. And as he died, Zechariah said, May the Lord see and avenge. At the very place that Joash was delivered from death and crowned king by Jehoiada and his family, That very place, Joash commands that his brother be slaughtered because he says what God says. Blind. And Zechariah says, I just want God to see this now. 
and I want him to make it right. Which is a call for judgment. And judgment comes. Look at verse 23. Now it happened at the turn of the year that the army of the Arameans came up against him and they came to Judah and Jerusalem. They destroyed all the officials of the people from among the people and sent all their spoil to the king of Damascus. Indeed, the army of the Arameans came with a small number of men, yet the Lord delivered a very great army into their hands because they had forsaken the Lord, the God of their fathers. Thus they executed judgment on Joash. The story of God's people is supposed to be like this. God's people trusted the Lord, though their army was small and the enemy was great. God delivered them because it's not the strength of the army or the quickness of the horses or the significance of the chariots. It is in the Lord their God they find their strength. But here in judgment, you see this great army of God defeated by a very small army because God was bringing judgment. It didn't have to be that way. Verse 25, when they departed from him, For they left him very sick. His own servants conspired against him because of the blood of the son of Jehoiada, the priest. And they murdered him on his bed. So he died and they buried him in the city of David, but they did not bury him in the tombs of the kings. His own servants kill him and his people buried him in shame. Notice the last phrase, the last sentence in chapter 24. Then Amaziah, his son, became king in his place. Even in the midst of terrible circumstances, there is always a thread of hope because of the promise of God. As sad as this story is, is a story that ends pointing us back to God and his promises. You know, as we walk by the life of Joash and we look at it and we contemplate it, which is what I've been trying to do all week, and, and I've, just, I've just seen some things. I feel like I've received instruction as I've observed his life, and I want to share some of that with you, and I hope you'll be encouraged as I share some things with you. When I, when I was in my latter years of high school, I got a letter from my dad. It was actually part of a school assignment. And uh, so I gave him the assignment, he wrote it up, and I've kept it all these years because of the final paragraph of that letter. And the final paragraph of that letter says, I've made a lot of mistakes in my life, and I'm really sorry. And I hope and pray that you'll learn from my mistakes, because I don't want you to make the same mistakes I made. I want something better for you. I love you. I kept that. All these years. Because I want to be the kind of person that sees the mistakes my dad made and I don't make them. I mean, don't we want to be like that? To, 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 to see the mistakes that others have made and, and to, to learn from those and don't make those? Well, here's Joash's story, a life right in front of us and he's made one of the gravest mistakes we could all easily avoid. I just pray that we would look at his life and receive instruction today. His story really resonates with my heart because of one of my greatest fears. 
and greatest sorrows. You know what my greatest fears is? One of my greatest fears is that I would be just like Joash and I wouldn't make it in the faith. I'd just bail out. I don't want to be like that. You know, I read about statistics of pastors. And, and, and you can easily get this information yourself, but if you, if you just look at the studies that have been done about the life and ministry of pastors. So somewhere around 60 to 80% of pastors don't last in the ministry past 10 years. They drop out. They're gone. Over 1,500 every single year are leaving the ministry because of moral failure, spiritual burnout, or the contentions that church members create and drive them out. Did you know that 50% of pastors have marriages that end in divorce? If we just look at the statistics and we think about the pastors on staff here, there are four pastors on staff. You just look at the statistics, somewhere between two and three of us will not be in the ministry in the next decade. We won't be on the radar of serving Christ. But I know it doesn't have to be that way. And yet I have friends who are pastors in other places who have been fired or caught in immorality and idolatry and today they're not in the ministry anywhere. They have checked out. They're gone. These are my friends. I have other friends who have been faithful in church in leading as pastors. Faithful. And people in the church stopped walking with the Lord and created all this ungodliness and they got fired for their faithfulness. These are my friends. And I look at these guys and I think about the statistics and I look at my own heart and I say, my great fear is that I won't make it. Man, I desperately want to make it. My great sorrow is that you won't make it. I've been, I've been in full-time ministry as a pastor now for 20 plus years. I have seen a lot of people who once were walking with the Lord check out and walk away from Christ. And it is my great sorrow. Devastating. I just, I'm convinced it doesn't have to be that way. And, and I really believe that just walking by Joash's life, we can find instruction there that could help us. So, so let me give you a couple of th- things that, that I've observed, that I think I've received instruction in, in looking at Joash's life. Number one is, I want to make sure that I don't give myself a chance to discover what I might do without a Jehoiada in my life. I I don't want to create an opportunity where I am so isolated and alone that I would have to discover at that point, will I stay with Christ or not? Do you know the number one problem with the failure of pastors 
is that they do it by themselves. That's, that's what all the statistics say. That's what all my friends who have fallen into immorality have said. That's all the stories I've read. Every single one have a common thread through every one. Isolation. They isolated themselves from people around them and they, they, they bailed out. And, and I want to make sure that I don't put myself in a position where I discover what I might do if I'm alone. And I just want you to know that I'm trying the best I can to make sure I don't get alone. Our, our relationship with our pastors here, man, we have a great relationship. We, we really do say the things that need to be said at times. We're really trying to move forward in being connected that way. Then I have some friends who are pastors in the state that I have close relationships with. And for, for over a decade, I have been really trying to be close with those guys. And then just recently, the last couple of months, there's five other pastors in our community that I'm trying to forge a connection with so that we say the things that need to be said because we need that kind of connection. And I've tried over the years in our fellowship to be as, as much a part of what God is doing in our lives as, as I am someone up here encouraging us to follow Christ. I, I want to be in the mix with you. And, I, and I'm trying the best I can never to put myself in a position where I don't have a Jehoiada-type connection. But honestly, I mean, if I'm just honest with you today, my sinful heart resists the kind of fellowship that I need where somebody can rebuke me, see my sin and call me to account, can encourage me and challenge me in the places I need it most. I resist that. And I need it so badly. I, I, just, I just want you to pray for your pastors. Don't, don't think that we're safe just because you... You see and hear us every week doing the things we're supposed to be doing. Please don't make that assumption. Pray for us. Push and press to get into our lives. And be a person that strives to have a Jehoiada type connection with us. We need it. And please don't for one second think that you're okay. That you're safe. Because if you don't have some kind of Jehoiada connection in your life, you're not okay. I want to encourage you to either seek out someone who can be like a Jehoiada in your life, or if you're in the place in life where it's more appropriate for you to seek out someone that you can be a Jehoiada to, you need a Jehoiada connection in your life. You cannot do this alone. You don't want to find out what will happen if you're alone. So men... Seek out another man. You older men in here, seek out a younger man who needs to learn to love his wife and train his children and work in his workplace in godliness, finding a way to use all that God has given him as a vehicle for the glory of God. Find some younger guy and pour your life into him. You younger guys in this place, find a man who loves the Lord God more than anything else and is passionate in loving his wife and honoring her and wants to train his children to follow Christ. Find a man like that and invite them in. Don't just pray for somebody like that and hope that God drops them on your lap. No, pray for it and then get busy establishing that relationship. 
get a Jehoiada connection in your life. That's what the body of Christ is supposed to be like. And we've got to be people that say, I see the life of Joash, and I'm receiving instruction. I'm going to do something about it. If today, in seeing his life, we do nothing about it, it is no different than the, than the, the individual walking by the field of the sluggard and seeing all of the thorns and thistles growing in his field and going back to his own field and looking at his field and saying, I think I'll go take a nap. We cannot afford to walk by Joash's life and do nothing. And so if you have a Jehoiada connection in your life right now, then do everything you can to stabilize it, to build it, to strengthen it, to do more with it, and really see how God might use the body of Christ and your connections with individuals to bring you to a place of more honestly and fervently following and seeking the Lord. We need this. And I pray that this story would admonish us all towards faithfulness. The thing that I received as I read this is that I want to make sure that in my life I am consistently and regularly putting myself in a position to hear God's voice. See, Joash took himself out of the position of hearing God's voice regularly and he put himself in a position of hearing other voices instead of God's voice. And over time, what happened to his spiritual ears that became so dull and deaf that when God did speak and he did repeatedly, Joash would not listen. And it happened because he made a change. He began to take in all the other voices instead of listening to God's voice. You need to be putting yourself in a position every single day to hear the voice of God. You need to be reading the Bible. This is where God will speak to you. That's what he said. So every day, do your best to put yourself before God's word to listen to his voice. You need to be placing yourself under spiritual authority in the body of Christ taking advantage of what this means for you, putting yourself in a position within the body of Christ so that people can speak into your life. God uses individuals in your life to help you hear what He wants to say. So every day, put yourself in a position to hear His voice. I also heard the instruction as I looked at this life that, that while I can, while the opportunity exists, while God is still speaking, I need to respond to what He says with repentance. And I don't need to be a person that just hears what God says and does nothing. I need to be a person that hears what He says and then does what is right and appropriate in light of what He has said. And that always necessitates in our lives repentance. We, and we need to cultivate an attitude and a walk of repentance every single day. God, I want you to shape my heart. And today I know that the sinful heart resists the things that are of God. And today I will resist someone seeing something in me that they need to confront. I will resist the things that you want. And I need to come before you in, in brokenness, in humility, in repentance and say, I want you and your promises in Christ to shape my decisions because you and your promises determine how everything works. And I want to today just lay myself before you in repentance. I want to walk that out every day. You know, Proverbs 13, verse 4 says, the soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing. But the soul of the diligent is made fat. It is time that God's house is filled with spiritually 
obese people. Because we have made ourselves fat on the feasting of who God is. We spend a lot of time around physical food, and I'm not knocking that. I like my share of food. But don't we need the fatness of soul that comes from the diligence of walking in repentance? Isn't that what we really need? The last thing that I observed as I walked through the life of Joash is that Joash failed to keep in sight God's promises. That he just failed to keep in mind that God and his promises determine how things work. We're not told a lot about what happened when Jehoiada died, except that Joash turned away from the Lord. When I think about that tragedy in Joash's life, it makes me wonder. What did happen in that moment? Here he was raised from the time he's an infant by this man who enabled him to be faithful on the throne for a time experiencing God's blessings. The role that Jehoiada must have been in Joash's life beyond imagination. And then Jehoiada died. We don't know if he was so embittered by his death. We don't know if he got angry with God. We don't know what happened. But we do know that Joash, in the midst of that tragedy, turned away from the Lord. And I've seen many people in the body of Christ walk into some unexpected event in their lives. Tragic. Difficult. Emotionally charged. And in the middle of it, look at God and say, if this is who you are, I don't want anything to do with you. And walk away. And they have lost sight of the fact that God and His promises always determine how things work, even and especially in the things we think are tragic. And God wants His people to be able to say what the the enemy intended for evil, God has used for good. And no matter how I feel, no matter how this may seem, I am not going to lose sight of God and His promises because He determines how things work. And if I hold on to Him, I will see hope in the land of the living. Don't lose sight of God and His promises. No matter what. You know, the truth is that I could, I could write a letter to my kids today that, said the same thing my dad said. I've made a lot of mistakes. And I really am praying that you will learn from my mistakes and not make the same ones. Because I really want something better for you. I really love you. And I just pray that my kids would be able to see my life and they would be able to say, I think you learned a lesson from Joash. And we're really thankful that you never gave an opportunity to discover what would happen if you were alone. You see, what I really want for my kids and for your kids and for our friends and our family members is for them to walk by our lives and to look and observe and receive instruction. And I want them to be able to say, I walked by your life. And I saw something in it, and it instructed my soul. And and I saw in your life that you did not try to walk with Jesus by yourself. 
And the lesson I learned didn't come from your failure. The lesson I learned came because you made it. You finished. And there's a better way than the way of Joash. And his name is Jesus. And we need to trust in him and respond to what he said.